Welcome to Who What Wear with Hillary Kerr, your direct line to the designers, stylists, beauty experts, editors, and tastemakers who are shaping the ever-evolving world of fashion. I'm your host, Hillary Kerr, and today I'm speaking with Zarina Akers. Zarina is, of course, the founder of Black Owned Everything. She's also an Emmy Award-winning costume designer and a masterful stylist with clients including Beyonce and Megan Thee Stallion. She's also designed sold-out collections with Macy's and was one of the brilliant brains behind the Nordstrom X Nike shop. Zarina is here to take us inside the costume design process for Beyonce's musical film Black is King. We're also talking about her show-stopping work with Megan Thee Stallion. And Zarina is giving us plenty of recommendations on the hottest new brands on her radar, including everything she's living in right now. It's all coming up on Who What Where. All right, Serena, you ready to do this? I'm ready to do this. Okay, good. So first of all, I just have to say that I am wildly honored to have you on the podcast today because you have created some of the most iconic visual moments and looks with clients like Beyonce and Megan Thee Stallion, plus your e-commerce marketplace, Black Owned Everything is just, I mean, like beyond phenomenal. And you have a million other projects going on. We have so much to discuss. So in addition to the fact that you work as an incredible stylist and entrepreneur, you also added costume designer to your resume in 2020 with a very casual little project, aka Beyonce's visual album, Black is King. So what did that mean to you? And what did that mean to your career? And more importantly, because I'm a nerd for process, how did you approach it differently? And like, how is styling different from costume design? Because I think that a lot of folks think they're quite similar, but they're not always, right? Right. That's a thing. Like, first of all, thanks for having me. My pleasure. It's interesting because I feel like I'm like starting at the bottom, but it's bizarre because I've now won this Emmy, but I'm just yes! learning because it's such a new <laughs> space. So Black is King kind of ushered me into, into that new space, you know, but working on it, it was everything just didn't stop. Like it was just rolling. We were in New York, we were in LA and I don't think they quite knew what they wanted to do with the footage, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Initially we were just going to do like these one minute clips for each song to kind of promo the album. And then it turned into, okay, now we're doing a film. We're doing a video for each song, but like while we're shooting. So all I knew was that each time that woman stepped out of that trailer, I wanted someone to go, ooh, ah. Uh. Yes. And I think in hindsight, I probably would have scaled back at certain <laughs> points. But I know I was just in the moment, moment by moment, wanting it to be decadent, you know, and wanting yeah. for her to feel special and for it to, you know, connect culturally and for it to just feel really beautiful. So working alongside Kwesi Frazier, the creative director, mm -hmm. and bringing on different talents, like... Trevor Sturman, bringing on like Brooklyn to help style some background and like being able to collaborate with different artists. It just was a really beautiful experience. I mean, I just am like so floored by the fact that A, you won an Emmy, as you mentioned casually, but like, let's just take a moment. That's a huge, huge deal. It's one of those things like I knew when everyone reacted to the film, <laughs> that there was possibility for things. Yep. Then at one point, the film didn't get any nominations. So we're like, okay, you know, we move on. Then I get a call 
one day like, okay, uh, Black is King one. I was almost like, well, what does that have to do with me? <laughs> like, oh, congratulations, Beyonce. What does that mean for me? I didn't really, I made this guy say it seven different times, like seven different ways. Like, are you sure? It was just really nice to be recognized because we did work really hard, you know, to make it really beautiful. And it was just super unexpected. I'm living far past my wildest dreams right now. I love that, Serena. We got to upgrade those <laughs> dreams for 2022 and beyond. Exactly. Just say. So I want to talk about the scope of that project because it was in production for a year across six countries and three continents. That's hundreds of costumes. I got a couple of different numbers in my reporting, 69 for Beyonce, 75, 74, whatever. It was a large number, even with collaborators, even with help. Like that is so massive and ongoing. How do you even start? Were you just thinking like one small thing at a time? Were you thinking like, how does this all fit together from the beginning? No, it was moment <laughs> by moment. Because sometimes we would shoot this part for this video and that part for that video, you know? Mm -hmm. Once we got into like actually shooting each individual video, then it was a little bit clearer to see. But I had an awesome team and I had a, I hired a whole new team in New York. I didn't bring any of my old team. Everyone started on the same day and we just kept going. But they were down for the ride. Is that scary? Because like you don't have a shorthand then in working with them. Like they don't necessarily know you or what you mean by something. No, because the thing is, we had just came off of shooting Spirit. And right. we shot Spirit Casual. in the <laughs> beginning of the summer. And I burned my assistants out so bad. And I was like, well, let me let them recover, Breathe. even though we're going into this next thing. Because it wasn't planned. It was like one day I walked into Beyonce's house and she's like, hey, I didn't know you were here. So I want to shoot this thing. You know, we should do like some little clips, maybe start in the backyard. I started in our backyard. So mellow, so mellow. And then it just spun out of control. So really, we only shot for about two months. We shot a month in New York, a month in L.A. And then we did a couple pickup shoots like in December. And we were still shooting up until the pandemic hit. We were going to we were scheduled to do another shoot. I was going to go to South Africa and we were going to shoot another chunk. And then the pandemic hit and we they just had to deal with it in the edit but she wanted to add more she felt like it needed more so we were still filming <laughs> I mean so I love the costuming in it and I love how varied it is and how nuanced it is and how rich it is you go from like white ethereal moments to all of you like jewel tone there's cowhide there's feathered head to toe you worked with everyone from Valentino to up-and-coming designers from across Africa. So how do you decide who to work with and how do you approach storytelling through costume? So for me, these threads of authenticity are always important, but I don't like to reference too much, which is kind of a good thing, kind of a bad thing. Like, So <laughs> I don't want it to be necessarily historically accurate. Uh -huh. You know, I feel like people, stylists and creators, they get caught up in like reference photos, but it's like, at what point do we have something new? Yes. So I just like allowing myself the freedom, but it was important for me to use the natural elements, use you know, elements that I found in different cultures. I mean, it was beautiful to have these designers that I was discovering making like cowrie shell mm -hmm. wigs or, you know, or like whatever, these kind of really fun moving skirts through different cultures from Lagos and South Africa and Ghana and all of these different places. But how do we bring it in and make it modern? You know, so in that space, it was important to 
for it to feel nuanced. Um, I, didn't, I never wanted to put Beyonce in a position to be criticized because I think mm-hmm. what a lot of people don't realize is that there's so many people creating and pouring into these projects, but she's the one that bears the cross in the end. Yep. So if a creative director or whomever used a wrong shot or didn't do the research to see that this was whatever it is, it's now on her that she's this raging machine now sucking the life out of these smaller people when that couldn't be further from the truth. Right, right. You know, so it's having to be cognizant of that. You know, even dressing clients, celebrity clients, whatever it is, it's like, if they get worse dressed on the carpet, I don't really have to deal with it. I maybe deal with a couple bad comments, a couple at mentions, but they are the ones that emotionally have to stand up and be you know, ridiculed that way. And the internet is a very harsh place these days. Sure is. So I'm curious about the amount of research that that takes then also, because like, for example, if you know that you want something Valentino, it's like, you know who to call. But if you're trying to find like a new maker or designer or creator in Ghana, like, is that through Instagram? Is it word of mouth? Like, how do you do that research piece of it? It's a combination, I think. I mean, and it, yeah, it kind of boils back down to Instagram. When you find really cool photographers and then mm-hmm. you kind of get the digging and clicking through and going through your whole. That I had Bianca Dunn as an assistant. She's now her own stylist, mm-hmm. but she didn't have a lot of experience. But what I liked about her is that she took things that were really cheap, just like tool fabric, and made very beautiful images out of them. So I was like, she's resourceful. Yes. Coupled with like a Trevor Sermon. Hey, I'm looking for X, Y, Z, you know, but it's constantly sharing. The thing is like, even when you don't have a project, it's like constantly saving, constantly sharing, constantly, you know, kind of building that, that Rolodex. Because you never know when you're going to need it. Exactly. <laughs> Starting to kind of build those relationships. And then when it comes up, it's like, okay, you know, it has a space. Even like Loza Malion, but we, I have been trying to get a moment with her for so long. We did the show in South Africa, the look didn't work out. We did it here. And then boom, she does this like black and white striped look and then it hits. And that's one of the most iconic looks in that particular video or in the film. It's one of the most memorable looks. So it's just interesting how everything has its time. The Burberry cowhide look Ricardo Ticci designed for us Mm -hmm. in South Africa during the Global Citizen concert and I don't think Beyonce was afraid of it, but a lot of the team was afraid of it <laughs> and thought she was going to be talked about. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fab. So we still had the look and we then designed the scene around the look. But then it, everything has its time, you know. That is so interesting to think of, too. And like I love the fact that it speaks to sort of the long game and the patience that you have and like the love of discovery that, yeah, this might not work this time. That doesn't mean it was all for nothing. Like it's going to get used. It's going to have a time. It's going to have a place like to sort of give yourself over to like this larger fate in that way, even though obviously like you're making all of these decisions, but to know that there's something kind of larger at work and that it will come back in when it's supposed to be there is a really lovely way of looking at it, in my opinion. It makes me feel calm during what must be like an incredibly stressful job for you. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But I mean, there's and there's still looks that didn't get used. There are still looks that are sitting on a rack somewhere or sitting in a storage unit somewhere that I still wholeheartedly believed in. And that's the thing is like, you know, there's always something else and there's always so many things that come up last minute, especially if you're in a position to develop a long-term relationship with a client. Yeah. 
you know, it's just just important to understand that everything is perfect. That also kind of goes back to more of so my spiritual beliefs that that everything has its own timing and everything in its own essence is perfect and it's the way it's supposed to be. So it's not beating yourself up because something didn't quite work out or that look that you believed in didn't use. It's also not working from the ego, I think is the most important thing. It's really not about me per se or what I want, you know? So speaking of those long-term relationships and speaking of clients, so I'm curious how you think about working with people. Like you work with Megan and I'm wondering like, how do you know who to work with? How do you know it's going to be the right fit? How do you know that you're going to collaborate well with someone because it's such an intimate and personal relationship. And I'm just curious about how you decide. I'm just learning that as well. (laughs) Because to be honest, I went through about two, maybe three years where I didn't say no to anything. So now I'm in this new space where it's like, what do I want to do? I don't really dream of working with people anymore. I want to create things that are bigger than that. And I do want to go into film and be a student of that and costume design and really learn that new world. But I'm just now learning how to kind of how to say no. Mm. I mean, my schedule forces me to do that, but more so because I'm realizing that a lot of things have taken away from the things that are important to me or the things that I own. You know, so you can take all that time and pour it into someone else's project Mm -hmm. or you can pour it into your own projects and into yourself and into doing things that potentially last a bit longer. You know, so I've been wanting to recently make more time for those things, creating meaningful content, you know, which takes time. It can't be that I'm traveling and working for six days and I'm trying to squeeze it in on the seventh day. So it's just I'm learning how to create boundaries now. You posted something on your Instagram the other day about saying no, and I loved it. I felt like there were a lot of people who reposted that. It's funny. It's like, because I went through the year of yes. You know, I went through saying yes when I was afraid. And and I'm realizing now that I don't have to say yes to everything. I just, it's a new space. It's definitely a new space for me to kind of be drawing boundaries. Well, I'm glad that you're saying no to things, but I'm also glad that you say yes to things because I know I, for example, the look that you created for an Austin performance of Megan's, like with the tassels, I say yes to that. That was like, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. I feel like the two of you have been doing such great work and there's still always a sense of joy in everything that you create. So... I'm curious if we can talk a little bit about figuring out how to create a look for a stage, like something that someone has to perform in versus something on the red carpet. Like what sort of considerations do you think about? I mean, they're two very different worlds. With performance, you want to make sure if it's a bodysuit that the crotch is wide enough, like how does it fit? Can you get into it easy? Can you get out of Mm -hmm. it fast? Especially if there's wardrobe changes and quick changes, the zippers have to be sturdy, you know? So I would rather a big, huge metal zipper going up the back than an invisible one that's going to split, you know, having support for the breast and coverage. So everything's not falling everywhere. So it depends on the artist and how they truly like to perform. We know Megan is down. So for me, it's more also about confidence Mm -hmm. that when the artist is on stage, they're not worried about something breaking, something popping, a wardrobe (laughs) malfunction, you know, and kind of going through those things. Rehearsals are important. 
But it's really about, you know, being flattering to the body, athletic materials that move and don't show sweat, ideally, like nice power meshes because we want like cutouts and to yep. feel like we're seeing skin, but everything is still held together. How do you think about tights and fishnets and all of that? Fishnets are king. Why? I've always wanted to ask this. Because as you're moving, as you're dancing, so it could be to keep everything in place. It can be sometimes to protect the skin and make you slide across the floor if that's what you are trying to do. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it just gives like a finished look to the skin without a ton of makeup as you're putting the garment on and off. Yep. And the dance fishnets really just kind of keep everything tight and in place. I was going to say, yeah, do you have favorite brands? I would say Wolford is a favorite. You know, it keeps everything in place, you know, and everything kind of smooth and not too, too revealing. I also just feel like it would be kind of nice, I can only imagine, but like to have just a tiny little bit of armor. Like you're out there and you're so vulnerable in so many ways. It's just like a little bit of something to like keep you shielded. Exactly. Especially when you when a lot of people are dancing in like body suits. So it's just, you know, it's just a little level of comfort. Well, I feel like Megan's been having so many amazing moments. I'm curious. I mean, like I have my own personal favorites, but I want to know what you really get excited about. Like a favorite moment for her and sort of any behind the scenes of how it came together or why it came together. One of my favorite moments to date, I would say, would be the BT Awards. Mm -hmm. It was our second project working together. We started our first project was Essence, Essence magazine cover. And realizing to me, she's already an icon. But when you kind of step back and think about it, she just, her career just blew up in 2020. But to take someone like her, who was already so powerful and so beautiful mm-hmm. and explore a different space and have people see her a little bit differently, especially in the rap game, the performance look we did, Brian Hearns made it and it was like Black Patton and she wore this blonde hair. And I just really wanted her to feel like a rap Mary J. Blige. That's like <laughs> Feel like a rat, you know, and then we did the Jean Paul Gaultier on the carpet, and then the Cavalli. Cavalli is one of my favorite dresses, and I just felt like the whole night was really all about her, and you got to see so many different sides of her in one mm-hmm. night. You know, this very pretty dress was dancing across the stage, you know, and then she's rapping, she's an MC, you know, and then this very risque, glamorous look. The sides are cut out, you know, custom Jean Paul Gaultier and. So that was still one of the one of my favorite moments. Well, what's yours? I want to know. The Gautier for me is like right up there. But also the, the I don't know who made it, but the black dress that she just wore on the red carpet. Yes, Mano. Yes. I love that dress. And that was a risk for us. In what way? Because, I mean, now, you know, Runway, they're getting back to these very flat stomach. But because I know that she's, you know, typically very confident in her body. And I love that she is not trying to hide anything. She's not trying to pull anything in. She's not obsessed with one thing or the other. She just walk out confident. I thought it could be very interesting to explore a dress like that on her, on a woman with a real body. So, and I say it was a risk just because the internet can be really mean, but it was, it went well. And I think it paid off. And it was so beautiful. Devante Washington killed the hair The thing is, she can do anything. Like, I love working with her because she 
I've never seen a woman so confident. So I'm never really worried because I know if I put you in a t-shirt, yep. you are going to kill it, you know? So sometimes it's like, uh-oh, are the alterations right? Is anything get done in time? But with her, I just know any mishap, any malfunction, like she's just going to make it so so beautiful. And I think that's partially what I was responding to. Like she obviously felt like comfortable and confident and it was so elegant, but it was still very modern and it felt like young and fresh and like very current. And that can be hard because like sometimes like when something is super elegant, sometimes it gets a little boring or like a little fusty. And it's like it wasn't that at all. And the bag and like the jewels, like it was just like the whole thing. So I also want to talk about Black Owned Everything. My baby. Your brilliant baby. So for anyone who doesn't know, we've talked about it a bunch on Who, What, Where. I think it's brilliant. You have to go immediately. So it's an e-commerce marketplace where you incubate, amplify, and empower a community of brands to reach an audience that is diverse and engaged and people can shop. And the shopping piece came second, right? Like at first it was... It was an Instagram page at first. So we were just highlighting, just giving visibility to brands. And then the shopping piece came... It's been such an uphill battle, I will say, with the marketplace side, because we've kind of created something that didn't really exist. And Mm -hmm. we kind of Frankensteined Shopify to do things (laughs) that it didn't do. So it was very Hmm. interesting. So we I ended up pulling the e-commerce site down. We're relaunching it with Shopify. Excellent. Shopify has now built it out to work like that. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, it's been a very interesting experience going from costuming something like Black is King, creating Black on everything. It made me realize how much a lot of industry really actually cares Yeah, because they really wanted to talk about the movement and, you know, what we were doing. And so I'm just hoping to continue to push it forward and really kind of challenge myself. And that's the thing is I've, I've been wanting to kind of scale back a bit on how much time I'm putting into outside projects and really pour the time back in to things like this, because I've gotten so busy that you can easily neglect your own projects and your own things. So I'm trying to kind of refocus and reshift my energy back into the space. So we have a lot more coming. We're going to do more editorial content, you know, more like videos and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm super excited. So one of the things that I love about it, it's like, you know, as someone who's been in the industry on the media side forever, I think I'm pretty good at research, but there were still brands that I'd never heard of, which I loved. For our audience, what are some of the favorite brands and specifically items that you think people should shop? Some of my favorites are in general, like Lane Chanteur. They're these twin sisters, Soul and Dynasty. I had lunch with Soul. And she's just so creative. Like the kind of jewelry that she's making right now and the stuff that she has coming up is so beyond beautiful. Like, and they're just so black and so decadent, like a track and a baby hair and dipping in gold. And she's just testing out so many things. She actually helped me design my Macy's collection, the jewelry for it. Yeah, yeah. She helped me draw it out. We I had some ideas and she just helped me kind of put it together. And I'm like, girl, why don't you do this for your own collection? She'll just go and start making things and she'll take rings from the thrift store or from the pawn shop, like real gold Mm -hmm. rings, old rings, and then add gold 
to the band, like where it looks a bit more abstract and then take out a stone of diamonds and put in like opal and like recreate these like vintage pieces and into something just so new and gorgeous. I'm obsessed. So that's my love one it. of my favorites right now. I love Sammy B's Hustle. And these are also actually brands that are in our Nike Nordstrom shop. We have a partnership yes. with Nike Nordstrom. This was in the Nordstrom space. This was her first time entering into the wholesale market. So this is her first buy. Whoa. Yeah. I'm so proud of her and I'm so happy for her. And she just keeps pushing it and just making really beautiful, really functional, affordable clothes. You know, and I think that often these designers are like limited based on like, what fabric they can afford that season. Some designers that you think are big just a year ago had to sell the previous collection in order to afford to make the next collection. And then sometimes it's issues with shipping and things like that. But I just always encourage the customers to be patient because at the end of the day, another component to sustainability is pre-order. When the garment is paid for, that's when the garment is made so that we're not mm-hmm. over making stock. You know, so I do yeah. think that the fashion industry should lean more in that front. And in addition to it being a more sustainable way of creating, it also like keeps some of the financial gatekeeping out of it. I mean, that's like fundamentally one of the problems. It's like it costs so much money to do all of this stuff. A new one new silhouette in general is going to cost you more because it's a new yeah. pattern versus you using an old pattern. You're if you're going to make five different pieces, yeah, next season you're going to see maybe the same thing or something similar in a different color because we already know that that pattern works versus having to kind of test and trial a whole new pattern. It's like it's not easy. And even Mm-mm. in black on everything, creating something as simple as a sweatsuit took months to get that hoodie right. Yep. And then creating we're we're releasing a candle which I'm so excited about, like getting those things right. Like it costs money. I'm, you know, people don't quite realize like how challenging it can be, you know, even learning all of those things independently. Yeah. Cause you don't know what you don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned it briefly, but can we talk about your collaboration with Macy's? I'm so curious about how that came about, what the process was like you've had. Is it the third collection that's out right now? Yeah, we did three collections. That's the third and final. And I was in touch with Duran because we were in conversation to bring in Black designers into Macy's through Mm -hmm. Black-owned everything. And then that conversation kind of evolved into me doing this kind of guest design. But it was an interesting experience because I'd never really designed. I can't draw or anything. I I feel like change everybody else's things, you know? So to be able to kind of do it for myself... (laughs) and explore what I would want and how I would want it. You know, it was a very interesting process. And then on the back end, learn what the customer responds to. I wish I had one more season because I would would probably take all the hits, you know, because there were certain things that people really loved. And then it was a really interesting lesson in dressing and designing for women with curves. Because Macy's is one of the very few retailers that actually, you know, caters to curvy women and plus size women. So, you know, it was just so cool. I mean, I have to feel like a process like that is amazing because it's just gathering more information, information that you can use, data points that you can use, like the audience might be different or what they're interested in might be different, but like you're understanding like some of the process in a different way that you can take forward with whatever you continue to do, right? 
Yeah. And that's the thing I've been, I've been kind of exploring because with under black on everything I've been doing, like just tiny, like a one item here and there. But what would it look like if I did, you know, even just like a five piece collection Mm -hmm. per season that's affordable? Because my, for me, affordability is king. It's like something that they don't have to think about that they can buy, but still keep for a very long time and still feel like it's collectible. You can't really get it everywhere. I always want to just kind of have those special things that people will, will keep, you know. People come on this podcast and they manifest things. So I hope that we are witnessing this and I can point back to it and be like, she said, here, it happened, it happened. Just putting that out there. So as a style expert, I also wanted to ask you a few tangible questions for our audience. So I'm curious about when creating your own personal style, like what is the most overlooked tool or the most important tool to really like understand? The importance of knowing your silhouette, because sometimes it's not about reinventing the wheel. You don't have to follow every trend. You just have to know what works for you, you know? And I think within every trend, there's a way to to implement it into your own style. Mm -hmm. And like paying attention to when you feel the most beautiful, when you feel the most powerful. For me, a structured shoulder. I love pants. You'll rarely see me in a skirt or a dress, but I feel the most strong that way, you know, and the most powerful as a woman. So I have a collection of suits, you know what I mean? But also not being afraid to experiment. Yeah. I've been pushing myself outside of my own comfort zone recently and just kind of trying new things, like trying new hairstyles and hair color, you know, and things like that. Because for me, I could wear a t-shirt, give me a white t-shirt and a pair of jeans and some cool sneakers, but my hair is going to be the accessory, you know, my hair is going to be the thing. I think that a lot of people are afraid of color, whether that's in their living space, Mm -hmm. in their wardrobe. I think often people really shy away from colors and prints. Mm -hmm. And I think to figure out a way to introduce color into your life makes a heck of a difference. Maybe mixing prints is more challenging, but finding a way, even if you're a navy blue kind of girl... To put that Mm -hmm. orange turtleneck on that day or that bright red thing. I mean, it'll even change how people react to you, but how you feel and how you move in the world. You know, so it's really, I think it just changes and it like uplifts the spirit. Yeah. Okay. So thinking about your closet, obviously some of your like go-tos and foundational pieces and things that you feel comfortable in, the structured suit, a great pant. If I said like five of the things that you wear the most out of your closet, what would they be? Okay, all-time favorite jeans. I have the really long white project jeans. Yes. With a huge cuff. I'm a denim girl and I feel like I've developed this like collection of specialty jeans. So whether it's like the Gucci snake jeans or the ones with the NY on front, I just like interesting yep. pants. Um sweatshirt. I mean, I wear my black on everything sweatshirt. I'm making a new set. But that one I probably wear the most. Mm -hmm. This pistola, I have this like leopard pistola two-piece set that is amazing. What else am I wearing right now? Because I go through phases where I'll literally wear the same thing every day because I felt good in it. Yeah. And right now I have this like long t-shirt dress from Koss that I love. And it's just a beige t-shirt to the floor with two slits on the side. It's perfect. I'm a huge sneaker girl, so I have these really cool, like, mismatch Air Max. Vapor Max are my favorite Nikes. They're the most comfortable. They have these Converse 
platform Converse with like a squiggly sole. I have yes. those in three colors. They're so bomb. Since Nike acquired Converse, they're so much more comfortable. And they are my favorite shoe. I've ordered them on ASOS. A sweatsuit of any kind, honestly. I wear my black on mm-hmm. everything. I'm like a merch girl. So anything like Megan the Stallion just did her Popeye's deal. And we got sent like hottie t-shirts. Like I'm wearing that. I love wearing things that I worked on. Yeah. I have drawers of like all my Beyonce t-shirts, my tour hoodies, like and it been like something with Beyonce's face on it, which people don't really go yes. for. I'm like, I put her in that dress. Me. Like, <laughs> this is <laughs> my work on hoodie. Like, I'm buying this. <laughs> I love that. So I also have to ask about designers who you really love right now. So do you have any favorite emerging designers, favorite established designers? Who do you really love right now? Alexander McQueen is and always will be king. He was a genius even in his darkest days. In his darkest days is when he gave us the most beautiful things. I'm still a huge fan of Donna Karen. I wish she would come back because she made clothes for women that were real working women that had real bodies and real curves in a way that no one else has seemed to manage to do. A lot of these trends, they just cover up the body, but there are ways to create a garment that helps curvy women celebrate their curves and skinny women feel like they got a little curve, you know? So, but she made shoes with hinges. Like she made clothes that people really wore and could really use in the real world and really for the New York woman. And I'll always appreciate her for that. I am still a huge fan of Glenn Martin with Y Project. I just think that they need to test the clothes differently, honestly, because he is a genius and he has mastered the art of Twisted Basics and really specialty collectible things. I have so many pieces of his that I'll never get rid of because you will never find them again. Mm -hmm. But he has not gained a tremendous amount of success because the fit is off. And another emerging designer that I love, I love what Brandon Blackwood's doing. Yes, I think he's taken that brand and that trunk and that like in systematic racism bag and spun it into such a beautiful collection. I'm so excited for him and all that he has in store. And I really like what Hanifa is doing as well. I've been buying a lot of her pieces and very impressed by how I feel in them. She has this kind of knit series with this really wide white print. So she has a brown and white mini dress and a pink and white maxi and then a green and white halter maxi and orange halter top. And I have bought half of those like I just because it's just again I'm into things that feel special that are not too expensive and you feel like you can wear it forever and people will always ask you where'd you get that from perfect okay so I know that you know a lot of styling tips and tricks do you have like a go-to thing that always works like the first time someone told me like oh cut the pockets out of something if it's not laying the way that you want it it was like (gasps) oh Oh, any slit pocket, just sew it down. Like, don't be afraid to get rid of those pockets, for sure, is a good one. Another one I would say is to, I hate to push the shapewear thing, but I think a lot of women are quite afraid of it, but they're looking to women that are bound in it and comparing themselves to them. Girl, go get that piece, that body armor, and it will smooth everything right on out. Don't be scared. 
It also like makes things go on more easily sometimes too. Where yeah. it's like I'm not even really changing my shape, but it just like pulls on. Yeah, better. exactly. But just the use overall of double sided tape. I personally love top stick with the brown writing. It's a wig tape, but it's meant to go against skin. And the trick is to wipe the skin down with alcohol first to take away whatever oils, lotions and stuff and dry and then tape. You may need oil taking the tape off after that because it will <laughs> stick, okay? But yeah, just like taping things, whether it's like you have a dress and your bra strap keeps slipping out. Sometimes it's as simple as just putting a piece of tape right there. So can we talk about fashion rules? It's kind of an antiquated idea, but I still think that people get like locked into this idea of like, well, I can't do that and I can't do that. Break the rules. There are no rules. Like, wear silver and gold. Wear navy with black. It's really chic. Wear brown and black. It's really, really chic. You know, and do all of those things. Like, I just posted, like, a full white look. Because the thing is, if you shouldn't wear white after Labor Day, then they wouldn't make white coats. And we all love a good (laughs) white coat. So, like, who cares? I love that. So we talked earlier about how your career is like beyond your wildest dreams. But if you could think back to younger Zarina and give her a little fashion advice or career advice, any information for navigating what was to come, what would you say? I would say, girl, you got it. Just keep going, doing what you're doing. But I think I would tell her, don't be afraid to be yourself. Mm. Learning that lesson changed my career. And I think it propelled me forward in a very different way, just in how I was able to connect with people. As a young intern, I thought I had to speak a certain way and act a certain way. And when I learned that, oh, girl, you can, that little Maryland accent can come out and it's fine. Because what people are sensing and why I'm not connecting with the editors is because I'm not genuine. And that's what they're sensing. So it's okay to just be yourself. So I think if I would have maybe learned that a little bit earlier, but I think it was still right on time. And that's why I, I wouldn't I wouldn't really change anything. I would definitely just let her know, like, you got this. Well, you definitely do. There's no question about that. So that's very <laughs> good advice. Serena, thank you so much. This has been such a delight. Thank you. A huge thank you to costume designer, stylist, and entrepreneur, Zarina Akers. Make sure to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, I'd also be so grateful if you would rate and review us. If you have any guest suggestions or any other feedback, drop us a line at podcast at whowhatwhere.com or you can find us on social at whowhatwhere. See you next Wednesday on Who What Where with Hillary Kerr. This episode was produced by Hillary Kerr and Olivia Capaletti. Editing is by Natalie Thurman and Treehouse Recording in Los Angeles, California. Our music is by Jonathan Leahy.